When we look at our connection we, with life, we might ask ourselves rather an important and basic question, and that is, what nourishes us? <coughs> and sometimes, when we're looking at the world in a rather uh, simple way, seems sometimes <coughs> that the world itself is divided up in almost into two groups of people. Those people who have far too, far, far too little, they are the great majority of humankind, and whose daily life is a, a real constant struggle just to exist, just for survival. And that's a predominant motivation from one day to the next, one year to the next, for themselves, for their relatives, for, for the children. Then there's an, another whole body, humankind, who in many respects has too much. And one might say in connection with that is rather over-nourished in all meanings of what that can be. And it seems, and as I mentioned in the opening uh, talk, the necessity here to, in our life and in, and in our communication with life, to establish some kind of middle ground. And for that to take place, not only as a meditative awareness and observation of life <coughs> indispensable to it, but also what must accompany, in, accompany it is reflection and inquiry and looking with care at life and, the, and at what really matters in life. And for us who frequently are overnourished in all many ways, it often means putting aside some of our personal interests and standpoints and rather looking at life in a more expansive way. And in that, when asking ourselves such a question as what nourishes us, we can be speaking in that way and asking from both the personal standpoint and also from the collective. And the first thing that comes to mind and fairly obvious and is the nourishment with regard to, to food. And this nourishment, like many other uh, areas of being nourished is essential and frequently I feel not only taken for granted but our relationship to that area is one of lack of observation, lack of sensitivity or just not looking carefully enough. And in the text, in the old text, the Buddhist uh, text, the Buddha has spoken of, I think quite wisely here, 
um, two forms of food or nourishment, one gross and the other subtle. And I think it's quite often fairly self-evident to us what, what kind of food, generally speaking, fall into what, what category. And it takes, like m- many of these things, you know, looking quite some degree of letting go. And with all the patterns and tendencies that you and I have in this area, to see what's useful, to connect with what's useful, and have the capacity in life for what we internalize from our environment to be able to say yes to this, no to that. And it's not in that that one becomes an absolutist in any way. But also with regard to food, even even when the best of food and very good, in this case, vegetarian cuisine is being offered on one's plate from day to day, even when that is taking place, it still doesn't make the relationship for many people um, easy or comfortable. And perhaps no better uh, example, representation of that than in a meditation retreat itself. You know, so sometimes, understandably, the, the highlights, the main features of the day are at 7 o'clock and midday and 5.30 and um, 9.30. And so sometimes when people are sitting in their, in their meditation, there are often a number of common things which preoccupy the mind. And... Food and sex are pretty common. (laughs) I haven't quite worked out the relationship between the two of them, but um, and so sometimes in the during the day, and perhaps particularly at the midday point, particularly for um, the men who obviously have as um, equal amount of food problems as women, but always fearful to admit it. may find that come 12 o'clock and the women are um, queuing for the food. (laughs) And the men sitting here trying to be um, (laughs) Buddha-like are probably seething with jealousy. And And of course, behind all of that, there is this underlying fear. And it's always the great fear. (laughs) <laughs> probably the biggest fear that emerges on a retreat basically will there be anything left when I get there <laughs> seems that the other fears kind of diminish in comparison so sometimes people are queuing and particularly those who are 86th, 87th, 88th, 89th and 90th in the queue or on the latter end of it can you know be virtually bordering on a heart attack. (laughs) And all this mindfulness and equanimity and letting go is magically uh, forgotten at this time. So a whole variety of restlessness and agitation can take place in that latter period of time. And very, very much within all of this, with uh, nourishment and nutriment, our relationship to it, our practice and our awareness, of course, is truly essential at that time. 
because frequently in this area of life we, we haven't developed a true being at ease with, a true being at ease with what the situation is and, and whatever comes along with it. And so sometimes perhaps when one is um, having to queue at uh, 12.30 or after one's you know, had various thoughts in one's mind about whatever, rushing off to the clinic in Barry for a quick sex change operation in, <laughs> in order to qualify for the privilege of uh, being in the first half. <laughs> so then one goes home, of course. And one has told one's mother or partner that one is coming to Barry and one is going to be totally transformed. <laughs> and you return, and this wasn't quite what they had in mind. <laughs> Maybe the Buddha did have that in mind, I thought about that. <laughs> Is that what it means to be a new person? <laughs> Is that what it means to be reborn? <laughs> yes, anyway, enough of that. <laughs> so this period of time of the queuing for food when one feels utterly famished and one, as it were, staggers up to the bowls of food on the table and then having eaten one's three full plates... <laughs> two carried in the hand and one carried up the jumper so that others didn't <laughs> see <laughs> and then in another way it staggers off to one's bedroom <laughs> a kind of gradual path towards collapse <laughs> so the whole sequence from through in a way from beginning through to the uh, end of the period of time is also to be regarded as a practice of <laughs> mindfulness and uh, observation and equanimity. And so sometimes I think we should just have, you know, eating retreats. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um, other areas, too, with regard to uh, nourishment and uh, nutriment and working and finding a balance in that. It's both in terms of, in this case, what we receive, how we receive, the degree that we, the degree of uh, internal activity which take, takes place, and a whole um, attitude towards whatever comes to us in life. And this, this attitude of mind is so important. And I think one of the truly important attitudes of life is the capacity to appreciate what we receive. And certainly that tends to show itself, I would say, in, um, in appreciation of what we receive um, when it's something which is um, pleasant and nourishing and fulfilling in some, some way or other the heart's response 
to that one is that it touches that place inside of us and there is appreciation. That appreciation because we've been touched and out of it has emerged a pleasantness of feeling. And very important, of course, in all human contact and communication that we find and live our life in which we do generate from ourselves towards others that giving in the different ways in order that that place within the human being is touched and that response comes. And in, in that, of course, some people in life, a whole variety of reasons, um, ex experience quite some discomfort with receiving. And, and sometimes there's a guilt feeling or withdrawal or feelings of um, unworthiness. And all of this undermines the capacity in life to receive and to be able and to be able to receive in the various forms and countless expressions that are available to us as as people and it is a phenomena that some people find it in fact easier in life to give and far more difficult to receive and in that respect both ways is an important human freedom of course and we need that self-knowledge and understanding of ourselves, how is our capacity in life to receive from others? How is our capacity in life to give to others? Because when much is stripped away of all the gloss of life and all the harsher realities of life, it's, it comes down to, in a, very, in a rather simple way again, to what is the ability within ourselves for this free flow of receiving and giving, free giving and receiving? And when there's some bias one way over, over the other, it creates psychologically, inwardly, a degree of imbalance within ourselves. And thus we need at times to stop and, uh, and ask ourselves, is it so much that my life seems to be so outwardly focused on others doing, 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 and there's not enough receptivity, not enough inwardness, not enough ability to receive from others, from life, from nature, from music, from creativity, or whatever? Or is it that I'm spending my life, and my life is in a situation that I'm just looking what I want for me, what's good for me, what a relationship will give to me, what this job will give to me, what this place will give to me. And is it all thinking in terms of, of getting? And so this finding this harmony and, and balance is somewhere around developing an awareness and understanding of giving and receiving and sensing the accord of those two. And so we might say that one of the um, nutriments or nourishments of life is uh, food, as we've spoken about. Another and very important one is contact and making contact and seeing what takes place within our contact, within, in this case, within our social contact, with our, with our contacts with the nature which is around us.
And in the second one of nourishment and being sustained and contact sustained life, the ending of life is the ending of contact. This is the same thing. And in that contact, there are countless numbers of contacts which are being made here. And in that, there's still, of course, an enormous degree of settling in and adjustment which is taking place. And so sometimes a person comes, if you're here for the, particularly if you're here for the first time, and one thinks, my God, everybody's so poker-faced and stiff-laced and uh, so non-communicative, you know, a bunch of zombies wandering around the pl- <laughs> wandering around the place, and all, all, all of these. And one thinks, my, how bizarre, they call it Pleasant Street. <laughs> and, you know, so all of these kind of thoughts and um, judgments can be, can be taking place, and one's you know, desperately looking for some eye contact and a, a little glimmer of warmth <laughs> and recognition from, from somebody. And all, all of this... Movement uh, can, be, can be taking place. And part of that is, understandably, we're rather used to contact and communication in a particular mode. And that mode, to some degree or other with ourselves, has got rather set in our mind. So we tend to think of contact with, uh, with uh, human beings, usually through one of three modes, I would say. Through, as I mentioned, seeing... Uh, that means eye-to-eye contact, uh, hearing, listening to another, and through touch. And these are, of course, important ones, and the quality of our contact affects and nourishes us in particular ways, but it isn't the only way of communication in life. They are obvious, they are self, self-evident, but there's a, a contemplative communication and contact, which doesn't actually embrace these. And yet in a wonderful and, and actual way, connectedness, which is what contact is about, comes about through another kind of expression. And just like with food and being nourished in life, we may say there's a gross, not necessarily judgmental, but a gross and subtle uh, contact of food for the stomach, liquid for the stomach. There's also with contact, both uh, more gross or self-evident form, and other expressions of communication which simply don't fall into this familiar category. And as we in our practice come come to more subtlety there, the sense of that, the intuitive apprehension of what is being referred to, becomes available. We start to gain access to it. And another order of closeness and intimacy becomes more of the predominant atmosphere within the situation. Yet no speaking to each other, or minimal, no, little or no eye contact, and um, no physical contact. And so it's, it's rather similar in, in, as it were, the willingness, and it's not an easy process to go through, the willingness to sacrifice what is familiar, go through the transition of unfamiliar, strangeness, uncomfortable, 
this and all that towards some other communication. When we begin to sense that just for a moment, a whole new dimension of life is beginning to come through being. So we see one aspect of, of being nourished in life is through food, gross and subtle. Another is through contact, gross and subtle. And another, a third one, also um, important, of course, and uh, as the other two are, which also feeds us, and it's a very important area of, of, of life. And I feel sometimes... Um, the importance of it isn't fully or adequately comprehended by us because the content or the issue is too primary. Let me, if I try to explain. I'm, th- I'm thinking here uh, with regard to choice. The issue of choice in our life is a very, frequently a very major one. And I suppose the way perhaps we look at the flow and the rhythm of our life is our life proceeds along in a certain way and then perhaps one or two things happen to us or together. One is the outer circumstances change our life and this is frequently uh, happening. One is made redundant at work or uh, the relationship uh, ends or one has to move because etc etc so circumstances from outside of ourselves come in affect where we're going with our life it's we can't continue as we were yet not through circumstances directly in our control so to speak and we are we recognize we're at the crossroads we have to make a choice or sometimes it's not so directly owing to the external factors, but it's inner factors. We look at a situation and we see within it there's some unsatisfactoriness and we know deep down, this is so important, we know we cannot continue as we have been. That things must change. Sometimes that change is um, change insofar as changing what one is doing, where one is living, who one is living with, etc., etc. That form of change sometimes is. Or sometimes it's not so much the changing of the externalized circumstances, but changing of the internalized way of looking at those circumstances. Either way, it's coming from within and we know change must take place. Now sometimes in all of that, in that um, choice uh, which is um, taking place, in a way we, we, we very easily magnify and build up the issue till it causes within us an enormous degree of sometimes dilemma or if it gets intensified, conflict. Shall I do this? Shall I stay? Shall I go? Can't go on like this. Must change. Can't change. Not ready. So all this, as it were, 
toing and froing. <laughs> and in this toing and, and froing, we lose all confidence in ourselves. It, you know, it, nothing like toing and froing to lose confidence. And one goes, and then one says to somebody, "You know something? I've really, I'm at the crossroads of my life. I'm in transition. Do you think I ought to, or do you think I should?" You know. And then you're listening over your, you know, cup of decaf coffee uh, to, what this, to what this person is uh, s- s- saying. And you say, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then you're walking down the high street and you walk into your veggie shop. And then you meet somebody else and you say, you know, really, I've got to change it. And they tell you something completely the opposite. It sounds just as feasible very reasonable and then you go and see your therapist on Friday morning and he or she says well I'm not going to tell you what to do (laughs) (laughs) and by that time you're ready for a weekend retreat (laughs) So there's the issue of choice which emerges inside, inside of ourself. There's the dilemmas which go, go with it. And it's as though we're looking to be told or looking for some kind of reassurance in some way or other. And it may seem major. It may seem a, a, a dramatic turning point or possibility for turning point in our life. But at, at another level... Is it really so? Is it? There is still opening the eyes and seeing. The ears are still hearing. Nose is still smelling. Tongue is still tasting. Mind is still thinking. Emotions are still feeling. Body is still breathing. So sometimes in coming to a more basic element and settling in with that, perhaps the intensity and the charge around transition and choice isn't really so great. And if it isn't really so great, perhaps the decision which seems so great isn't so significant. And if we get in touch with the more subtle level of our being, a meditatively subtle level, perhaps within that, we can see and sense a a little bit more freedom and it's just taking the next step with that openness of heart and mind which says, let's see what the next step is. Let's see what that brings. Let's see what contact comes out of that. And so within ourselves, within the very flow of our being, in our in inner being, there are these varying levels which you and I meet with in the rhythm and flow of our life. And it's just, as it were, seeing if we can go with ourselves a little bit deeper. Seeing how much investment and charge we have around choice. And perhaps, as I said, with regard to that and the consideration for it, one of the things which is... Um, inseparable from the field of choice 
is that underlying it in some way or other is the motivation. The choice to actually be accelerated into consciousness, to have some substance for us, there's got to be some underlying motivation there. And again, getting to something of a deeper level there, what is the motivation behind what one wants to do? What, what, what is the actual spur to that? And that requires, in a way, from us some discernment that when we see we're faced with choice, and choices which we consider important, you know, I mean, there are choices about shall I sit or shall I walk, shall I bend my knees, etc., and one can make a great issue um, of, uh, of those. But I'm referring you know, to life changing choices which many of you uh, will in different times will refer to. In that, as I say, connecting with the motivation of mind, which is a deeper level, sensing what the, the motivation is, so that we can discern, is this motivation genuinely beneficial? You know, some people get disheartened, they find themselves in the midstream, so to speak, of spiritual practice, meditative work, letting go of uh, lots of other things. And it gets, in that midstream, it gets difficult, there's a wavering, and then one starts thinking, you know, I think I'll get back into, you know, my old business, business and, and m making money and getting my life together, you know, which often means pursuing, you know, whatever it might be, Cadillacs and Porsches, you know, and these other symbols of inner poverty. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and mind, e mind easily gets uh, directed uh, in, in, in that way. And so sometimes there's these... <laughs> I hope none of you own those cars. <laughs> and the, mind e the mind easily you know, goes through difficult and wavering periods and then it resorts, not so much to its intuitions, I would say, but to the predominating influence of social conditioning. I don't believe that ambitiousness and accumulation is genuinely comes out of the heart of a single human being on this earth. I don't think it's got any relationship to depth at all, which is where the heart is. To me, that mode of living is social conditioning and socially orientated, and easily and terribly sadly, we buy it. There's another way of living. I'm not talking about voluntary poverty and living like an ascetic and, and all, all that idiotic way of living. <laughs> I'm talking about much more balance in which values and practice are placed together. So we see that there's nutriment of food, the nutriment which is of uh, nourishment which comes out of uh, contact, there's the nourishment too, which comes uh, out of choice and the inquiry into what's really meaningful in life to choose and having, because there's always risk involved in that, having a certain, I think, faith, you know, and it's not difficult faith, it's not like, you know, faith in you know, someone obviously up there, the normal forms of religious faith, and it may not necessarily even be faith in oneself because 
one, one looks at the back and think, my God, it's been a catalogue of disaster. So that, that also may not give one a great deal of optimism. <laughs> but rather it's some, some faith or, or trust that having looked at choice, having looked at motivation, one is willing to make their step, to take, to make those steps and to continue making them till it begins to feel more and more right to do. And so choice is another major area of our being nourished, being touched by life, that sense of active participation. And the fourth, in in all of these, and and sometimes, as with many areas of life, of awareness and uh, inquiry, sometimes possibly one of them seems appropriate and relevant and reaches one or or all of them, and you and I, it's all, as it were, food. Food of inquiry, food for reflection. And the fourth one is, is consciousness, the actual state of consciousness. The state of consciousness is obviously not in any way independent of these other three forms of nourishment. The state of consciousness is connected with those. And we see, finally, in our, in our generation, in our, and in our time, that there have been and there are a number of movements, very important um, social movements, which have as a primary purpose for us the changing of consciousness, the movement, the uplifting of consciousness. And we see a major inspiration for this has been uh, the women's movement and all the beneficial repercussions that have taken place for women and, uh, I may say, especially for, for us men. And then the beneficial movement and change of consciousness which has come out of the best of the uh, Eastern traditions which have offered us tools, methods, techniques, ways to actively work on ourself. And other movements too which are taking place, the peace movement, the movement which says that non-violence means communication. It's the same thing. And therefore communication, sustained communication in spite of everything. And and there's a, a movement and tradition of people concerned with peacemaking. And another major one, of course, is the movement towards the awareness of our relationship to Gaia, our relationship to the living earth. And and in all of these movements, it's because there's been sufficient change in consciousness in which there is the movement away from the typical social conditioning which we have, which has had such a hold on us as women and men on the face of this earth to another consciousness which is prepared to see differently. And when consciousness change, the field for meaningful change, truly for all of us, comes wide open. 
And so when we're speaking of consciousness in that regard, we can't isolate it. If you're speaking of consciousness, you and I, we have to address what we put into the body. It does affect consciousness. And that includes what we drink, what we eat, smoking, drugs, alcohol, a whole whatever. It, and it does take exploration, inquiry and discussion and sharing with those areas, as many of you know. Similarly with the contact. Similarly with making choices. In through that process, both individually and collectively, consciousness changes and my God, it will change. And in our meditation practice, in the sitting and in the walking, in a way, we, what we might say we are doing is we're doing something which ennobles us as human beings. We are, in the process of the meditation, becoming more consciousness. Becoming more conscious. And conscious, being more conscious, means that consciousness is more towards the foreground. So instead of our being mechanical and repetitive and uh, habitual and so forth, we're bringing consciousness to bear on what is happening. And therefore we might say consciousness is the light or awareness, which is consciousness with uh, observation. Consciousness is the light which sheds on events. And each moment we do that, it may seem trivial and unimportant in, in that very moment, but when we're applying it throughout the day, you know, and whereas in a normal daily life one says, my God, I've got to go to work at 9.30 in the morning and I finish at 5.15, well, things are completely different here. We start at 5.15 in the morning <laughs> and we go through to 9.30 in the evening. <laughs> and, and, the, and sometimes people say, well, why do we have such a, you know, such a long day? And I just feel there's more opportunity for our mind to be more awake when we're awake than when we're fast asleep. And so the, the, <laughs> and so the very moment, mo movement of the day and the, and the flow of the day is being conscious. Being conscious. And in that respect, you know, for any of us, is there any choice? Is there really any choice with regard to this? Is there any choice in, in between being alive and being awake and being dead? And it's one of, the, one of those areas that as we begin to sense intuitively and, and, and see and feel, especially feel what it is to be. Heart's wish is to be conscious. And to be conscious in such a way that there can come about this remarkable thing in the depths of our being that even when we're faced with the difficult, even when we're presented with a contact which we don't like, we don't seek, and we don't want, there can emerge out of us an appreciation for it 
because if it affects us, it means there's something to see, something to learn, something to grow from. And then the whole field of experience, the whole dynamic from the painful to the pleasant, from the sublime to the gross, somehow all have their place for us. Somehow are all forms of nourishment. Somehow all can be genuine grist for the mill. All can be worked with. All can become compost, compost for the mind, so that growth and flowering truly can take place in all that the spiritual, the best of the spiritual traditions have said to us again and again and again. And in that we pay fullest of respect to life, the fullest of respect to ourselves, the fullest of respect to each other. May all beings be in touch with themselves. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings live in a truly conscious way. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.